Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you all, and I'm very grateful for the invitation to preach this morning. Our gospel text today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Listen for the word of God. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. What words stand out to you when you hear this text from the Gospel of John? Commandment, love, abide, complete, bear fruit, friends. This passage is full of powerful and evocative words, and indeed many assurances and words to live by have come from it. Laying down one's life for one's friends, You did not choose me, but I chose you. We could have entire discussions on any of these small bits of words. And when we look more closely at the text, at what comes before and what comes after, we notice that Jesus says these words to his disciples, whom he intentionally calls his friends, after he has celebrated the Passover meal with them and washed their feet. He then goes on to explain what will happen to him, that Judas will betray him and Peter will deny him. And sandwiched between these two events, Jesus gives the disciples a foreshadowing of this new commandment, to love one another. And he then explains that the Holy Spirit will be with them. But it's a curious thing one that I had not considered until studying this text again in preparation for this morning, why does Jesus call this new? Has not love been the central part of his message throughout this gospel, even before we get to this chapter? Is not love a central characteristic of the God of Israel, whom Jesus both incarnates and whose Jewish community has worshipped for hundreds of years? One author I read seemed to suggest that Jesus is not only making a connection to the Decalogue, or what we Christians call the Ten Commandments, he could also be referring to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. 
The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant which they broke. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It seems that Jesus is emphasizing this connection with the very roots of his community, and he interprets it for the particular situation that he finds himself in. The Johannine community, which this gospel writer John belonged to, emphasized Jesus as the absolute fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. For them, and I would posit for us too, this fulfillment is situated around love. Their belovedness given to them through God and now with the Holy Spirit, that they are to bear fruit, shows evidence of their love for one another. John Wesley, our Methodist founder and brother, spoke of bearing fruit many times throughout his writings, and it remains a core part of Christian discipleship in the Methodist tradition. In very personal, practical terms, it is one that I and every other candidate for ministry in the Methodist Church must answer in our ordination paperwork. How do you bear fruit? How do I? Now I want to return to this friend's word. It is easy to perhaps interpret this idea of laying down one's life for one's friends as sacrificing or giving to the people, or perhaps even the ideas that are close to us, that are most like us. And sure, it is indeed an invitation to remember that the love we have for family and dear ones does require love and sacrifice. After all, it is often the people closest to us who know us the best and see us for better or for worse most honestly. But I think Jesus is going even deeper than that. After he tells his disciples of the things that are to come, the betrayal and denial that would be done to him by his own people, he calls them friends. If Jesus calls these beloved, are we not also God's beloved? I've had the opportunity, and my mother has joined me on one occasion, from time to time to worship at the Old South Church in Boston, where I'm now living, which is a congregational church in the heart of the city and one of the country's oldest. And when I attend, I normally go to the Thursday evening jazz service, one marked with communion and contemplative prayers and candlelight, accompanied by a jazz group that leads the community in prayer and singing. Reverend Anthony Lavolsi, one of the associate ministers of the church, leads the congregation in celebrating the Eucharist. And the words he says before inviting people forward have remained in my mind. My friends, he says, grape juice and gluten-free wafers are available for those who might need it so that there might be no physical barriers to this meal. But for those of you wondering if there are spiritual barriers who feel that you might not be worthy to come forward, Remember that beside Jesus at this Holy Supper sat one who would betray him, one who would deny him, and nine others who would slowly turn away from him. Surely if he welcomes these, he welcomes us. 
This love that we encounter in the Gospel of John is a monumental event. It is bound up in the widest and deepest love found in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is not only a general truth. And every time that we experience, as individuals, families, friends, a church community, a city, or a nation, every time we experience the cycles of life, death, and rebirth that surround us, we get a glimpse of how, prof- how profound this act can be. And if we, through this new commandment, are called to love, we are called to love all. For when we recognize our own belovedness, we make ourselves capable of seeing it in others. And to do the beautiful and challenging work of building what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. To bring God's kingdom here on earth, as we pray every Sunday, or as often as we pray the Lord's Prayer. When we see the belovedness of others, we might respond to all that in our lives and our world might throw at us. To our friends, spouses, or loved ones who struggle with sickness in mind or body. To our neighbors across the globe who are shaken by natural disasters. To the children and families who struggle to make ends meet in a society that would rather forget about them. To our earth, our fragile home, in its distress, to systems of racism faced by people of color who are exploited, and to all who experience isolation because of our perceived differences. The list could go on. But hear the good news. When we allow ourselves to see that all of creation, all people and creatures, are God's beloved, we make human again what suffering and sin through oppression, violence, and hatred have dehumanized. Jesus forgives us, loves us, and chooses us each moment of each day to love one another. And he does not leave us alone. May God's power, strength, and abiding love be with us and make us agents of that love today and every day. Amen.